Let me tell you an amazing truth this morning. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. What do you mean, Pastor? The truths that are in the New Testament are hidden within the Old Testament. Okay? The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Here's what I want you to remember. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He is hidden in every book of the Old Testament. You can get on your computer and you can Google Jesus in the Old Testament and you can, it'll pull up a list of every single book and it'll show you where Jesus is hidden within those stories. This morning and next week leading up to Easter, I'm going to show you two very famous stories and I'm going to show you where Jesus is hidden in the stories in the Old Testament. Let me say it to you one more time. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. When we get to heaven, Jesus will be the hero of heaven. Now, there are Bible heroes. I'm not saying there's not. I mean, I, mean I, I think Daniel's a hero. I think David's a hero. I think Moses is a hero. I think those stories are amazing. But the ultimate hero of the Bible, the ultimate hero of your life is Jesus. I pray all the time, and I thank the Lord, that the story of the gospel is not about me. It includes me, and he's the hero. Listen, Jesus is my hero, and he should be your hero. So I'm going to show you this morning in an amazing story. It's a very familiar story, and I'm going to show you some scripture and help you understand it. I'm going to read to you this morning out of Exodus 15, starting with verse 1. Let me set it up. <clears throat> the children of Israel have been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years. It's a very famous story in the Old Testament. And they've been in bondage and they've been in slavery. God raises up Moses and Moses go to Pharaoh who was basically his stepbrother. And he says, God's told me to tell you to let the children of Israel go and let us go to the promised land. And of course, uh, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. And then there's 10 plagues that come along. The reason there's 10 plagues is because God used those plagues to bring down the gods of Egypt. So they get all the way through these plagues. Each time there's a plague. Of course, Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to let them go. They get down to the last plague where they have the Passover and they put the blood on the doorpost and all the firstborn die. And Pharaoh relents and he says, okay, I'll let you go and I'll let you, I'll let you be free. So they gather all the children of Israel. Now, now there's millions of them. Okay. Estimates are two or three million. There's not two or three hundred. And it says that when they leave Egypt, there's not one feeble person among them. There's nobody sick. There's nobody weak. There's nobody feeble. And as they leave, the Egyptians pull off their gold earrings, pull off their gold bracelets, pull off their gold anklets, and they give their gold to the children of Israel. So they leave with natural provision, and they leave healed. And as they go into the wilderness, as they go out, Pharaoh changes his mind. And I know this is a very famous story. Pharaoh gathers up his army. He gathers up his chariots and his horses, and they take the army. Now, listen, Egypt's the most powerful nation in the world, and they have an army that's very formidable, and no one can defeat them, and they charge into the desert after a group of slaves. Now, listen, these folks have no weapons. They basically have no tools. They have nothing to fight with. They haven't fought for generations, and they don't know how to fight. And in fact, that's a really good place to be. 
So the enemies charge out into the desert after them, and Israel is backed up to the Red Sea. And as they're backed up to the Red Sea, and the armies of Pharaoh are barreling down on them, God tells Moses, hold up your staff. And when he holds up the staff, God supernaturally parts the Red Sea. And it says in the Bible that God held it like a wall, and that the bottom of the ocean is dry ground, and the children of Israel, several million of them, make the trek down into the Red Sea, and they walk through all night long. It takes all night for them to get through and to come up the other side. While they're doing this, an angel of the Lord holds back Pharaoh's army. They're not pursuing them down into the sea right behind them. That's not happening. They're held back by God and by an angel, and they can't pursue. They come up the other side. The last one's come up. The uh, angel is removed, and they barrel down into where the Red Sea is on dry ground with their chariots, their spears, their horses, and they're going after the children of Israel. Now, they don't want to bring them back. They want to destroy them. Okay, listen, the devil has wanted to destroy Israel since the very beginning. The devil wants to destroy you. When the devil is done with you, you're destroyed. That's what happens. You see, he's not wanting to make any deals. He's wanting to destroy you and destroy your family. So they come out the other side. Pharaoh's army starts down. And when they all get down inside of there, he tells Moses, hold up your staff on the other side. And when he holds it up, you know the story. The waves begin to collapse in on themselves. And it runs all the way across. And it says all of Pharaoh's army is drowned. And their bodies literally wash up on the shore. And as they're coming up, as as the children of Israel are coming up, and they turn to look, they see the waterfall. And they see God's enemies. They see their enemies annihilated and destroyed. And this is what happens. Spontaneous praise breaks forth. They start shouting. They start dancing just like we would, right? It's something that miraculous happened in your life. And I want to read to you what was said and what they said and what they sang. And I'm going to read to you verse 1 through 21. It's a pretty long stretch of Scripture, but I want you to catch this and listen to what it says. It says, Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider have been thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has cast into the sea. His chosen captains also are drowned in the Red Sea. The depths have covered them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, has become glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, has dashed the enemy in pieces. And in the greatness of your excellence, you have overthrown them who rose against you. You sent forth your wrath. It consumed them like stubble. With the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together. Don't you love that right there? With the blast of your nostrils, the water was gathered together. The flood stood upright like a heap. The depths congealed the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword. My hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. 
Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonder? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You and your mercy led forth the people whom you've redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The people will hear and be afraid. Sorrow will take hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom will be dismayed. The mighty men of Moab trembling will take hold of them. All the inhabitants of Canaan will melt away. Fear and dread will fall on them by the greatness of your arm. They will be as still as a stone till your people pass over, O Lord, till the people pass over whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, in the place, O Lord, which you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. Wow. The Lord shall establish forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went with his chariots and the horsemen into the sea, and the Lord brought the water of the sea upon them. But the children of Israel went on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took the tremble in her hand, and all the women went out before her with trembles and danced, and Miriam answered them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. Amen. Now, I'd like for everybody to stand, please. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. And we're going to play the uh, modern-day version of what they sang. Go ahead. Crank it up, brother. Amen. You may be seated. That's the modern version of what they did. Now, here's the thing that's amazing about this story. This story happened over 3,500 years ago, and we're still celebrating it in song in the New Testament church. A story that happened 3,500 years ago. Let me tell you, the two most biggest events in the Bible are the Exodus and the cross. In the Old Testament, the biggest story in the Bible was where God delivered his people 
physically from bondage and from slavery. The largest story in the New Testament and in the Bible as a whole is where Jesus came to the earth, died a death on the cross, spent time in the grave, and was raised from the dead for your and our deliverance, our physical deliverance and our spiritual deliverance. Those are the two biggest, the two most important stories in the Bible. Physical deliverance in the Old Testament, spiritual and physical deliverance in the New Testament. Now, I want to drop down and I want to start reading to you in Exodus 15, and I'm going to begin reading to you in verse 22. They've been delivered. They start out into the desert. Listen to what happened. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days into the wilderness and found no water. Now, remember, they're in a desert. There's nothing to drink. Now, when they came to Moriah, they could not drink the water of Moriah, for the water was bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Moriah. That's what the word means. It means bitter. And the people complained against Moses, and they said, What shall we drink? So he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the water, the water was made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. He charges them. And he says, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, keep his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, which is an oasis, where there were 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. And here's what I want you to see in the rest of this story. The word of the water, it was called bitter. And Moses didn't know what to do. It says that the people complained. They've come away from a miracle. They've come three days into the desert. They have nothing to drink. They're incredibly thirsty. And they begin to complain. And Moses prays. That's the first contrast I want you to see this morning. Which one of those groups do you belong to? Do you pray or do you complain? I want to encourage you this morning. Move out of the camp of the scornful. Move out of the camp of the complainer and move into the camp of prayer. They complained and Moses prayed. And I want to encourage you to pray in your life when you face problems. Here's what I want you to see. The bitter waters and the desert represent our lives. Lots of times we have trouble, we have problems. I see people who give into bitterness. I see people who give into hurt, who give into unforgiveness. And just like they didn't have water, we have no sustenance or no water, and we complain. God told Moses, Moses, there's a tree. I want you to cut that tree down, and I want you to drop it into the water. And when you do, the bitter water will be made sweet. Here's the amazing thing I want you to see. That tree represented the cross of Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has redeemed. That word redeem means to buy. Christ has bought us. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now, what's the curse of the law? The curse was three things. It was poverty, it was sickness, and it was death. Galatians 3.13 says Christ has purchased you with his blood and you've been redeemed from the curse of the law because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. That's exactly right. 
The reference of the cross in the New Testament is a tree. Moses cut down the tree, which represents the cross of Jesus Christ. And when that tree dropped into that water, it was made sweet. Listen to me. When the cross of Jesus Christ came into your life, when you made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, and that cross dropped into your life, your bitter life, your life separated from God, your life without any sustenance or without any hope was immediately made sweet. Now, here's what I want to challenge you with this morning. Hey, pastor, I've been to the cross. Because if you haven't been to the cross, you're not a Christian. But you say, pastor, I've been to the cross. I went when I was 12. But you know what Jesus says in Revelation? He says, I stand at the door and knock. I want you to recognize that everything you need in your life, Jesus took care of at the cross. Listen, the standing offer of Christianity is restoration. Restoration. Anything in your life that's bitter, anything in your life that's broken, anything in your life that's brought pain, any time in your life where you've been days without water and you have no sustenance, the offer of the kingdom, the offer of Christianity is restoration. What is restoration? Restoration is where God takes that which is broken, and it can be your mind, it can be your heart, it can be your marriage, it can be your kids, it can be your past, it can be your checkbook, doesn't matter what it is. The offer is I'm going to take that which is broken and I'm going to restore it and I'm going to put it back together. And just like the tree fell into the bitter waters of Moriah, the tree of the cross comes into your life and God brings healing and he brings hope and he brings restoration. Right there is one place that Jesus is found in this story where Jesus is hidden in this story. So they drink the water, and here's what happens. They leave, and they go to the next place, and that's what I want to read to you. Moses challenges them, and he says, listen, I want you to obey God's word, obey his statutes, and the next promise is, I'm the Lord that heals you. Now listen to me very carefully. God wants us to not have a casual relationship with his word. He does not want you to have a casual relationship relationship with him. Listen, I can stand right up here this morning and say, Jesus is my Lord. And I believe that's a true statement. But do you know what Lord means? Lord means boss. See, Lord means boss. I grew up in a church and they taught us in the church I grew up in that Jesus wants to be on the throne of your heart. But you know what happens to a lot of us? Our throne is a love seat. What do you mean, pastor? Well, I invite Jesus into my life, and I want him to come up and sit with me on the throne, and he's going to be my co-pilot. You've seen those stickers, right? Yeah, there's only one problem with that. God has not ever, nor will he ever be a co-pilot. He's only one thing, and he's a pilot. The, the throne of your heart is not a love seat. You see, I had to get down off the throne of my life, and I had to pull down off of it whatever else was there. Maybe it was work. Maybe it was family. Maybe it was, it doesn't matter what it was, but I had to make room for Jesus. Listen, Jesus won't sit in your lap on the throne of your heart where he has control and where you have control. It does not work like that. I had to vacate that throne and I had to make room for him. And I said, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. And Moses told him, you have to obey the word of God. And here's what I want you to hear this morning from me. Stop having a casual relationship with God's word. What does that mean? Well, it means you take it or leave it. 
Oh, if it's good for me, great. If it's not good for me, well, then that's not so great. I'm going to read the Bible, but I'm going to have this casual relationship with God. And you cannot have a casual relationship with God's Word. Here's what you do instead. God, show me what your Word says and show me how to walk it out. Show me how to live it. Jesus, I surrender my heart and my life to you today. When I get up in the morning, I'm going to say, Jesus, I surrender my heart and my life to you today. There's no co-ownership. There's no co-leadership. A lot of times when we pray, we treat it like a board meeting. What do you mean? Well, we want God's advice. Listen, God doesn't give advice. He says, hey, I need you to do this, and then I have the choice of doing it or not doing it. So Moses said, you've got to obey God's word. Here's what I want to challenge you with right here in this next part. But you pray and you don't have a casual relationship with God's word, then here's the promise. The promise is I'm the Lord that heals you. Now listen very carefully. He said, I won't put any of the diseases on you I put on Egypt. You do not have to be afraid that God's going to put disease on you. I don't believe that's God's heart or God's plan. The reason that there was judgment on Egypt is because they refused to serve God. And God was at war with their gods. And he pulled down their gods to prove to them and to the children of Israel that he was God. And the promise is, I am the Lord who heals you. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, By the stripes of Jesus, we're healed. Jesus took 39 lashes on his back before we went to the cross. Then that was payment for your sickness and disease. Jesus has paid for our salvation, and he's paid for our physical peace and our healing. And he says, I'm the Lord that heals you. Let me read to you what happens next. Then they went to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water, 70 palm trees, and they camped by the water. Let me show you some amazing truth in that. Can you put up my picture of the oasis? Man, I want to go swimming, don't y'all? Amen. All right, they went to an oasis. They're in a desert. Now, that doesn't look like exactly probably how it was, and that's not exactly where they were. I just wanted you to see a picture of water and waterfalls and green grass. Imagine coming through a desert, and you, you get water, and then you find this, and you camp there. And it says in the Scripture that there were 12 wells, and then there were 70 palm trees. Now, I want to show you something amazing, okay? 12 in the Bible means perfect or complete, Wells of water means salvation. Listen to it. Twelve wells of water mean perfect, complete salvation. Now stop right here. I don't want you to miss this. They got to the bitter waters. The tree representing the cross of Jesus Christ fell into that bitter water. They turned their hearts toward God, just like you turned your heart toward Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross and you received him, what did you receive? You received perfect complete salvation. I've talked about this before. Y'all know what Billy Goat religion is? Yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross, but, right? You know what, what do Billy Goats do? They but, right? They but. Okay, I know Jesus died for me, pastor, but. No, there is no such thing as that. No, but, pastor, you don't understand my past. But, pastor, you don't understand I've been divorced. But, pastor, you don't know I've done this. No, none of that matters. Listen, there's nothing you've done that the blood of Jesus hasn't taken care of. Amen. They, yeah, amen. Amen. That's good. You can clap. Come on. Amen. <clears throat> they went to the cross. The bitter waters were made sweet. They got to the oasis, and there were 12 wells of water, which mean perfect and complete, and the water means salvation. Then the next thing it says is there were 70 trees. 
70 means mature spiritual order. I said this a couple of weeks ago. God is committed to your maturity. Do you know what God wants to bring into your life? Spiritual order and maturity. What do you mean, Pastor? Have you ever had seasons in your life where it just seemed like nothing worked? There wasn't much order in your life. You had those days before. You've, maybe you've even had seasons where it just seemed like if bad things happened, it happened to you. Seems like nothing worked out. Nothing went well. It just seemed like your life was chaos. Listen, when you come to Jesus Christ and they got there, one of the things God wants to do in your life is mature spiritual order. You know what God wants you to do? He wants you to grow up in him and he wants to rec- for you to recognize who you are and what belongs to you. And he wants to bring his godly order and his grace over your life. And he wants your marriage to work. He wants your family to work. He wants your job to be blessed. He wants to take care of you financially. He wants you to be a blessing to somebody else. He wants you to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ. He wants people to come up to you at the grocery store and say, why are you always so happy? Why is everything going good in your life? And you can say, well, it's Jesus Christ. All right, that's what it represented. Here's the next thing it represented. Trees represent blessings. Now, in West Texas, we know that, don't we? Thank you, Jesus, right? I was in Colorado Springs last week, and man, there's trees there. It's amazing, right? I mean, we go vacation where there's trees, right? We know that trees are a blessing. It's nice to have some trees. What does it mean? Seventy trees mean mature spiritual order and blessing. Now, here's what I want you to see. When you said yes to Jesus Christ, you got to the spiritual oasis, and what was there for you was perfect, complete salvation, mature spiritual order and blessing. Ephesians says we've been saved by grace, not of ourselves. Right? Listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my sin. Christianity is not do, do, do. Christianity is done, done, done. Jesus paid the price. That Greek word for saved, I've talked about it. It's sozo. What does it mean? It means healing. It means rescue. It means deliverance. It means wholeness. If I could wrap it all up into one word, that's the word I would use, wholeness. When you get to Jesus, you begin to take a journey of restoration and you get wholeness for your mind, wholeness for your heart, wholeness for your soul. You get peace of mind. You get the blessing and the grace of God and you take this journey to wholeness. And what does it say? You find perfect, complete salvation, mature spiritual order and blessing. Oh, are there battles? You bet there are. Are there bumps in the road? Big ones. But I'm on a journey. And that journey I'm on is to maturity and to blessing and to grace and to wholeness. And I've come to my oasis, and my oasis is called Jesus Christ. Oh, and I had some bitter waters in my life, and I have bitter waters at different times. But every time I do, I turn to Jesus, and he always offers restoration. He always offers wholeness. He always offers life. And you know what I do? I just keep walking. And I don't complain. I complain sometimes. I'll be honest. I'm talking about me, Rusty, right here. I can complain. I'm not saying I can't complain. My wife will call me on it when I do. But I want to be in the camp of prayer. Listen, I heard somebody say that I can tell if you're walking in pride or not, and that's by how much you pray. See, if you don't pray, you think you've got it. And that's a life of pride. But if you pray and you say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. 
the tree of the cross is in your life and your bitter waters turn sweet and you move to the oasis of healing and blessing and salvation. Now, I'm not talking about your life being perfect, but I'm talking about recognizing that Jesus wants to restore and heal you whatever it is that you need. And the offer stands this morning. Amen? Bow your head and let me pray for you. Father God, I want to thank you this morning for your love and your grace. Lord, I so love these stories, Father, where you show Jesus was right there in the tree just like he was in the tree of Golgotha for us. And just like you delivered the children of Israel, you've delivered us. Lord, I pray your grace over us, your strength over us, your help over us. Father, I know everybody in this room is here for one reason, and that's because they're looking for something for you. And I know, Lord, they don't leave here disappointed. I pray restoration over each one of you this morning. I pray healing and wholeness over your homes, over your marriages, over your children, over your jobs, that when you lay down at night, you have peace in your mind. When you rise in the morning, you have joy in your heart. I speak the grace of God over you, the life of God over you, and the peace of God over you, and that we are able to live in the presence of God, and we're able to walk in perfect, complete salvation. Father God, I'm thankful for it this morning for all that you're doing in our lives, your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Y'all stand up. Man, God's good. Amen? Amen. I love you. I'm glad you were here. Y'all go and be blessed and have a great day.